All right, hello. My name is Cassie Prolongo, communicator at the Bay Area Environmental Research Institute. And today I'm interviewing Meloway Cassiala-Bogan. Meloway is a research scientist and works in the Atmospheric Science Branch at the NASA Ames Research Center. So hi, Meloway, welcome. Hi, Cassie. So Meloway, I've, I've already introduced you as a research scientist, but for this chat, how would you define an atmospheric scientist? And maybe even a little bit more specific, what current research are you working on right now? So I, um, I, my expertise is on aerosols, suspended particles in the atmosphere. Uh, they're mostly solid particles, um, and they have their and they have effects on either air quality uh, and human health, or they can impact the Earth's radiation balance. So. Um, in terms of air quality, uh, in California, we've been under uh, Blade Runner orange skies lately, so we're very aware of how wildfires, for example, produce smoke that can affect the human health. The thinner the particle, the deeper it goes into the lungs. Yeah. So that's the air quality part, and that is why it's really important to study aerosols. The other, uh, the other effect, big effect, is that it it uh, it could counterbalance the uh, the Earth radiation budget. Uh, it, it could impact the cooling or the warming of the Earth. Uh, depending on what the aerosol is made of, uh, depending on where the aerosol is, above which surface, if it's uh, reflecting or not. So big implications uh, to aerosols, uh, and that is why I'm fascinating, uh, fascinated by, uh, mm -hmm. by that, and I find it really exciting. So what led you down this path? Have you always been curious about air quality and climate? Um, is it something that you studied at university and it started to, you decided to go down this pathway a little bit more? Yeah, what, what led you down this way? So I was always curious uh, in general, uh, but uh, science was not something that I particularly wanted to do. I, I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grow up. I was very uh, curious and I had lots of different hobbies. Uh, lots, like music, dance, sailing, diving. Uh, but to tell you what I wanted to do, really, uh, no, I, I really, I really defined it very late in my life. Uh, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah. What? So, what was the turning point? Then there must have been a spark that happened. I love that all of the examples that you used are all outdoorsy. So it sounds like you are always, maybe not consciously aware of like an earth science career you were definitely an outdoors person was there like a turning point or a spark for you that happened where you said oh i want to do science i'm going to do this yeah so definitely outdoorsy uh my upbringing was a little tough uh i wasn't uh full of confidence i was brought down a little bit a lot actually uh so um I thought I'm gonna pick something that's that's really hard to do and that uh, no one no one thought I could be able to do and that was at first uh, fluid mechanics and at, at the university. 
I did that. I had um, a summer internship uh, in a French utility company. So I, I was born in the U.S., but I spent most of my life in France. I came back in the U.S. That's the weird accent in uh, 09. And, uh, the lovely accent. Stop it. <laughs> thank you. I'm trying to get rid of it. Thank you. Uh, um, so, yeah, I did this internship in France and... Um, and I'm not going to name the company. Uh, I made some graphs and I saw the, those, I, there was basically fixed issues and, uh, and I, uh, really didn't like that. And so I went back to school, uh, and I wanted a bigger purpose. I, uh, and I found this in this other internship that the next year that was at NASA. And mm. ever since I thought, you know, how can I, how can I get back to NASA? How can I, how, how can I get that meatball uh, in my life again? And so I changed to earth science and uh, that's, that's what led me to where I am. Hmm. It's interesting how NASA puts it like, <laughs> puts its hooks into you, but there's so much that's going on. Um, that you feel sort of this affinity. I know I've only been uh, at NASA for working with NASA for a few years, but I definitely feel, um, and maybe you can confirm or deny this, but I definitely feel like it's it's an area that has so many opportunities and there's so many challenges and science is just an exciting area to be part, like you said so eloquently, be part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. um, so on on that note, what, what would you what would you like to say maybe for people who are curious about maybe working for NASA or getting into a STEM field in general, since it sounds like you decided to change a little bit later, um, what kind of things would you like to say or give any kind of advice if they're, if they're considering maybe coming to NASA or STEM field? Well, I, 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 I think it's a, it would be a great choice. I mean, I'm biased, of course. Uh, you know, the great thing about working at NASA is that I do not have to question what I do every day. Uh, I feel safe on the ethics, moral uh, base. I uh, don't know if I'm making myself clear enough. So I had those um, I, I had those issues with um, with ethics in, in that internship, and I really wanted to feel safe and part of a bigger thing. And and that's that's. That's really what NASA is. Until I'm proven wrong, there's nothing really that can be used uh, in an evil way, uh, you know. So that's very important to me. Very important. The 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 moral issue. The other thing is, it, it just it's bigger. It's the biggest thing I've I've ever experienced. Um, it's it's a big pond. Uh, there's a lot of room to grow. Uh, there's multiple centers you can go to. It's not just Ames. If you're tired with Ames, you can go elsewhere. Um, if you're tired of this particular field, you can you can try to move to a different field. Um, and yeah, yeah. There's, I think there's a lot of opportunity and it just seems like it's, it's a unique um, position, I think, to be in. And we, I do feel quite privileged a lot of the times, especially even just doing science communication and 
speaking to you today about atmospheric science, which I never would have considered only, gosh, a few years ago. Um, so what I want to get back to is this whole idea of, um, you, you, you again brought this up again, like so eloquently, this bigger purpose sort of picture in our more immediate capacity, especially here in California, as you, as you mentioned, we are dealing with some fairly historic fires. And I know that I'm checking my air quality index app on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. um, which I would never do normally. So I imagine a lot of members of the general public are doing this. So what, what sort of key takeaways would you want to convey to the public um, about the atmospheric science and why studying at, uh, aerosol distribution can really help to inform us about climate or its impact on human health? So um, Europe has a lot of measures going on to limit pollution. Uh, I would like us to be uh, in this country uh, less divided on, this, on that issue. That issue is not political, should not be political. Science should be separate from politics. Um, that's my opinion. And I would like science to be heard. Um, what I do, the, the, the image I, I have in my head when I work is, it's a little sad. You know, it's like, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a house on fire which is the planet, and I am there measuring the flames, you know, that's all I'm doing. I'm just measuring the flames. Um, now, it's not my role to turn my science into applications and regulations, and all I can do is publish articles that are hard to understand for, uh, you know, people that don't know uncertainties that you need some math some science background to understand it but then there's a there's a whole bunch of people that are in between and are there like you that are there to distill the message and um just bring it to the public uh try to educate people um on what's important and yeah the 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 planet is not doing and that's my job to say that the planet is not doing well. Um, now I'm going to let the, 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 the people that are working on regulations do their job. Um, does that make sense? What, what, yeah. I'm, what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, you guys are doing some very important and unbiased um, work, uh, definitely. And maybe just to get a little bit more um, into that with how you're taking this, what sort of observational instruments do you really use to help inform your science? Is it is it primarily satellites or ground-based or what kind of things do you use? So my my personal, uh, the the thing that I use the most in, in the studies that I publish uh, is, is satellite. I use a lot of satellites, but I'm also leading a group right now that has, um, airborne instruments so we have a we have an instrument on an airplane that uh looks at the sun points at the sun directly and measures the amount of particles 
uh, there. We fly in places that are interesting uh, climate-wise, like the Southeast Atlantic, above a, a cloud deck. So you can imagine there's aerosols above that cloud deck that uh, are absorbing light and that would warm the planet more. So it's a mix. I'm, I'm, I'm using satellite. I'm also using airborne instruments and I'm using ground-based instruments as well. It's an integrated system. It's probably a lot of maths and a lot of coding that goes way above my head. Um, but do you, so it sounds like though, from, from what I'm hearing that you, 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 you go on sort of field work campaigns, especially if it's, um, if you're going to different parts around the globe to take measurements, have, have you been part of field work campaigns or are yes. you on one currently? Not, not currently because of COVID, but, uh, yes, I've been part of, uh, two major campaigns. Uh, it's a, it's a great privilege. So that you were talking about perks that come with the job. This is one of them. Um, <laughs> the last campaign was in, uh, uh, Africa and it, it was, it was just amazing to be, uh, part of that campaign with all those scientists. Very exciting. Uh, we was were, it the Oracle's campaign? Exactly. Oh, yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Could you could you talk about Oracles a little bit in case anyone hasn't heard about that? Yeah, uh, Oracles is a campaign that was in Southeast Atlantic over this cloud deck that I talked about. So it's one of uh, three hotspots in the world where there's a, a very homogeneous cloud deck uh, over the ocean, and you have aerosols injected above this cloud deck um, from fires that, that come from Africa. And those aerosols really impact uh, the globe and could counterbalance effects from uh, greenhouse gases. And that is why uh, we've, we went there. Mm. That's really cool. So do you have any, I know we're in a tricky time right now because of COVID, but um... Do you have any upcoming ones that you're hoping to be part of or that have been maybe postponed because of because of COVID? Um, there's a there's a few uh, that I would like to be part of. There's this big project, a uh, gigantic project. It's a satellite project that I'm part of called ANCCP, Aerosol Cloud Convection and Precipitation. They, they're going to launch um, a satellite in 2029 uh, that's their target now um it's a wind before before they launch the satellites they're gonna have to uh, also fly airplanes to look at the science from below and 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 um and actually study things that you can only study with uh with airplanes like processes, aerosol cloud interactions, aerosol seeds the cloud. So there's a lot going on there that you can't see via satellite. So that's that's um, an effort that we, uh, the Sun Photometer Satellite Group, would like to be part of um, down the line. Mm -hmm. And there's ways to go before mm -hmm. 2029. It's definitely a ways to go, <laughs> but that's, it's good to have. And that's, I think that's important though, because what people maybe don't realize when you're talking about sort of the scientific process, science takes time. Yes. Science takes a lot of time and it, it, and for a very good reason, because this is, 
if, if you're collaborating with large groups and different areas, you have to focus in on um, you know, challenges, issues, and sort of nailing it out, and then budgetary and making sure you have the right people. Science, science takes time. I mean, is this normal for when you're putting together these sort of things uh, for it to take a good two to three years before it comes to fruition? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, projects are on three years spans. Uh, I do not publish frequently enough. It takes me at least three years to write a paper. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's long time. Well, for some of us, uh, publication takes a year. So, you know, we're all different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's okay. So um, we kind of briefly talked about this, but um, what sort of, I guess, challenges did you, have you come across in, in your, in your, that you've sort of overcome in your science journey? Um, it sounds like that when you first initially got started, you decided uh, fluid mechanics was not for you and you wanted to try something else. But were there any challenges that you were surprised about maybe um, when you, when you moved over to your field? Yeah. Um, there's, there was a lot of challenges. Uh, uh, for me, um, sexism in France is huge, and uh, I only noticed when I came back here uh, in the U.S. Um, in comparison, you know. So sexism was was big um, on my journey uh, that I overcame. Um, uh, extreme lack of confidence right from the beginning. I I sort of overcame that. Uh, it took me quite a while. Financial difficulties at one point in Paris. Um, the career life balance was really hard for me uh, as, as a woman uh, and trying to find a partner uh, while, you know, studying uh, and moving around in the world. Um, I was very lucky to find my partner in my late 30s and and have a child also in my late thirties, but it's close to a miracle for, and I say that forever a woman that want to uh, do the same thing. It's, it's close to a miracle. It's really, um, I'm very fortunate. Uh, yeah. Um, I didn't choose my mentors particularly up until I came to NASA Ames. Um, and I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. My mentors were always tough, uh, you know, challenging, and it might have made me better along the way. So that was mm. that was another challenge that mm. yeah, it's, I had to overcome. It's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm sorry for cutting you off there, but I just want to say this is something that I find really heartening to talk about imposter syndrome especially because you know we me personally a member of the general public who suffers from imposter syndrome and it is sort of a day-to-day -day challenge um, even in my own capacity and to hear that i think from our mentors and our heroes and people who are in these prestigious i think um, um, positions it's really comforting to know that we all sort of we're all human we all go through very similar challenges um, and we can overcome them in a, in a certain way. So do you do mentoring now? Are you part of any um, groups? Like um, I think we have the CARE 
one, yes. which I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that or explain what CARE is too. Uh, yeah, uh, it, I'm part of this and I'm, I, I'm actually continuing with the same intern throughout. We found another system through a, another internship to follow up on, on previous work. Uh, it's amazing. I absolutely love mentoring others. Uh, it's a it's a great program. It's a uh, it's for minority um, institutions. Uh, so I'm my the intern I'm working with is Brandon Cornelison, and he's from uh, the uh, Houston. Mm. Uh, so we're doing this uh, through Zoom. Oh well, Teams these days, but uh, no, it's going it's going really well. And I, you know, I'm very excited to actually if we can pull this off to actually give give this person a first author paper as a graduate student um at the end of his internship that that would be just a an amazing gift to start with you know if if he wants to pursue the research research for his life and uh, the, the uh papers are really our main currency in this field so you know starting with a first author paper at that stage as a graduate student um i think is a really really great thing so yeah. I, I really hope we can pull this off that's awesome. No, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you. And I'm trying to remember what the full act, I mentioned an acronym CARE without actually defining it. And I'm racking my brain. I think it's the Center for Applied Atmospheric Science or something along those lines. So I'm really sorry. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can't you know either. Do you want no, me to look it up? Um, no, don't worry. I'll put it okay. in. I'll put it in like the little bio. Um, Okay. So sorry about that. <laughs> Off the cuff, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even remember what, what CARE stands for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's the one so, thing with NASA is the acronyms, you know? The acronyms. It is crazy. Uh, yes. We do like to, we have our own NASA speak and NASA-tizing certain things. And uh, I guess that could be one thing if people are considering coming on board at NASA, you, you will learn a new language. It's called NASA speak. <laughs> yes. Um, gosh, you know, the only other thing we talked about how your work has shifted, um, at least living in this COVID based world that we are right now. The only other thing I wanted to ask you, uh, maybe we can close out on this is what is the best part about being a scientist for you? What is the best part? Um, or even a favorite memory that you'd like to share or anything, a conference that you really enjoyed? The best part, but you know, it, that could apply to anything. I mean, the best part for me about any job, the, the, the thing that gives me the most satisfaction is putting in effort for so many months, years on something and doing it well and finishing it. And and so that applies to a paper. When you submit a paper, the the feeling is amazing. When you submit a proposal, it's amazing. When you get the proposal accepted, it's amazing. It's a but that applies to anything, right? It's just the motion and the effort and the completion just gives me a lot of satisfaction. 
I love that. I think that's really, that's super positive. And science is fun. It's a, if you're a curious person, it can be, a, it sounds like it's a lot of work. It's very time consuming as it should be, but it, it can be a lot of fun, especially when you've got that finished product. <laughs> the end yeah. of it. You know, it's like a detective job. I always mm -hmm. wondered how, you know, how, how, how good I would be at, at a detective job. Um, I love that. You're a detective of the uh, the atmosphere, the aerosols. <laughs> You're detective. <laughs> you are looking for the missing puzzle pieces because it is. It's always um, questions to be. That's why it's good at least to come in with an open mind and just be curious. Is you're looking to answer questions that take a lot of time. And then when you discover something, it should bring up more questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, the process right. of discovery. Um, well, gosh, Meloway, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your science and your science journey with me. And I look forward to talking more about your research and reading more about your papers and everything else that comes up. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to me.